It's a good afternoon to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle. How are you today? I'm doing really well, thanks. You have a great topic for us. What's that lump? What's that lump? So lumps mm. and bumps on our pets, a pretty common sort of thing. And Daniel Carrington, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You're talking to a special guest. I am. It's a, a dog rescue club this time around. It's Linda from All Breeds Dog Rescue. We're going to talk about what kind of work they do and how involved it is and the fact that they might need some foster carers to help them out as well. Rescue, dog rescue, yeah. cat rescue, there's lots of rescue so organisations. Yeah. And they are important. They play an important part which help to rescue dogs from death row. Um, now, on the line, we've got Linda from All Breeds Dog Rescue. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, Danny. And look, can you explain to us what your organisation does? Okay, well, we rescue dogs from pounds or from situations where they're no longer wanted and we get them uh, veterinary attention, we get them dissexed and vaccinated and if they have any issues, we get those all sorted. And then we find them a home by matching them to people that suit their personality. So, for example, an active dog would go to active people. Um, an elderly and the slower sort of dog might uh, go to a retired couple. Um, that, that sort of approach. Are you finding when using that approach, it reduces the chance that that dog may be rehomed again? Oh, hugely. Mm. Hugely reduces it. We do go into it quite um, closely with people that apply to adopt a dog. We check their yard, make sure it's a secure yard, and we ask the people a lot of questions about their lifestyle so that we can make sure that to the best of our ability, this dog is going to suit them. I really like that way of, of partnering the dog with the family that it's going to. So what was the inspiration for you to set up your rescue organisation? Well, I've always loved dogs and um, I've, I've always been aware of the welfare kind of problems that are around and I've actually been a foster carer for quite some time. Mm. But I think probably what got me into it in the first place was I saw an advertisement for an old dog whose um, family were going into a nursing home, both of them, and he was 14 and he was going to be euthanised the next day if nobody took him. And I, that just tugged at my heart, and I took him in, and he was a bit of a cranky pants. His name was Bob. Um, but he was with me for two years before he passed away, and that was a very rewarding experience. And uh, it, I think it kicked me off into taking more dogs, and it grew from there. I guess we often think about um, dogs that need to be rehoming. They might have had bad owners or the owners gave up on them and so forth but sometimes there's situations just like you've mentioned where the owner has passed away is, is that correct? Oh, that's very common I think it's a myth that's out there that rescue dogs must have had something wrong with them for someone to give them up but that's not at all true I would say most of the dogs that we um, uh, take in um, have, haven't had any kind of problem like that. A lot of dogs are surrendered because people are renting and they have to move and then they can't find premises that allows them to have a dog and mm. so that dog becomes homeless. Um, some people just don't keep their dog close and on the property and the dog goes wandering and ends up in a pound and people can't always afford the fees mm. to get them out again. So really, that, it, that isn't really true. Very few dogs are homeless because of um, behaviour issues. So, um, I mean, that's a good point to clear up, and I find that interesting. But is there a significant problem with 
dogs needing rescue in the Newcastle Hunter Valley area? Is there so many dogs on death row that need rescue? Are the numbers continually going up or are they stabilising or going down? Well, I wish they were going down, but unfortunately they never seem to. There is a huge problem, but I think it's a problem that's everywhere, not necessarily just the hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, rescue organisations are usually full. RSPCA is often full. Um, it's just a sad fact of our society that there are a lot of pets that are discarded or um, become homeless. Now, being that you're a, um, a voluntary organisation, what if... Uh do you take donations? What if people wanted to support you in some kind of way? What can they do? Yes, we'd be very happy to take donations. And some of the things that are help, would be helpful for us would be collars and leads. Mm. So anybody that might have collars and leads, perhaps they don't have the same number of dogs they had earlier or something like that, we're always happy to take them if they're in good condition. And bedding, um, mm. beds, um, anything like that that's unwanted but still usable, um, of course, we like um, financial donations if they come along as well. And we do have a, a money box in um, a local independent pet store that's there with our name on it. And also dog walkers. If we have anybody that has time to donate, that's always very helpful because it's it's hard to get all the dogs walked. Now, with that information, do you have a website, a Facebook page that people can locate you and find you in and let you know what they could donate? Sure. We've got a Facebook page just under the All Breeds Dog Rescue uh, New South Wales name. We're building a website. It's not quite ready yet, but it will be shortly. Mm -hmm. Um, So people can um, message us through the Facebook page or they can email us at allbreedsdogrescue at gmail.com. So that allbreedsdogrescue at gmail.com, there's no space between the words. It's all uh, lowercase written together. Now, we'll leave these details here at the station as well. So if people phone up the station, the reception can give these details out as well. But I guess one final question. If someone wants to help your organisation as a foster carer, Mm. do they need qualifications? How does that all work? No, no formal qualifications needed, although having owned a dog before and knowing a bit about dogs is always very good to have. But one of the main things we like people to have is commitment. Mm. So even if that's only committing to, to fostering one dog, if they can see it through, that is the most helpful for us. And also, it's, um, it's also good if they've got a secure, safe yard so we know that the dog's not going to get out and go missing. Um, and and some time, just some time to walk the dog, to spend with the dog. doesn't have to be a huge amount of time, but if people are racing off to work and then busy all the weekends, that's not mm. usually so suitable. Look, Linda, thank you very much for your time. That was great. Great to talk to you, and I uh, wish you all the best for your rescue organisation. Your topic today is what's that lump? What's that lump? Mm. So we see a lot of lumps in our line of work. Um, dogs get them, cats get them, birds get them, guinea pigs get them. Pretty much any kind of animal can come up with a lump. And having a lump can be a variety of different things. So it's a really non, you know, non-specific sort of symptom. Um, so we see lumps that can be um, something as simple as a, an umbilical hernia in a puppy that hasn't closed over after the umbilical 
colicus is gone, um, that's a relatively um, easy fix and a surgical fix. Sometimes if they're small enough, they don't need fixing, but big ones certainly do. We can see fatty lumps. So a lot of our mm. middle-aged to older dogs, particularly if they're carrying a bit of extra weight, will develop sort of fatty lumps. Um, and they're mostly benign but they can get quite large and if they're in an area like an armpit region um, I've seen them where they're so big that despite the fact that they're benign we have to go in and take them out because mm -hmm. they're actually causing the dog difficulty in walking um, and then we get the sort of more insidious sort of lumps where you look and go well it's not really affecting the dog um, and it's you know it's still got fur on it the dog's not licking at it and it's been there for a little while um, but some of those can be really nasty so um, you know, lumps on dogs um, and cats and birds and guinea pigs should always be checked out by a veterinarian. So there's quite a variety of different things that we um, that we can you know be what looking for. What about cysts? For. Do they get cysts? cysts? Yeah, they can get cysts, um, but cysts can be quite different as well. So we can get cysts just refers to a. Um, a lump or a pocket of fluid usually. Um, and some of our really bad cancerous tumors will actually form cysts on them as well. So they can be really benign. Um, humans get a lot of cysts on their head where they're sort of like a fluid-filled cyst on the head. Um, and there certainly are some of those that we'll see on dogs uh, and cats from, you know, from an from a occasional sort of standpoint. Um, but they're not that common. We see a lot of follicular cysts, which are sort of hair follicle cysts, and they can come up with sort of a waxy material. Um, but you as a, as a pet owner, it was probably not going to be able to determine that from one of the nastier ones. So like I said, unless your vet's looked at it, you probably want to, you know, sort of get it checked out. Now yeah. we, enc we encourage our, our pet owners to, mm -hmm. when they're checking for, for ticks and things like that, to rub yeah. your hands through the dog. Is that a good time to check to see if it absolutely. feels unusual, if there's a lump or something? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, some lumps people know, they know their dogs and their cats and they know that that lump's been there for a really long time. But if you ever come across a new lump, I'd really encourage everybody to, um, Make a make a note of it. Maybe write it down on the calendar. This is the first day that I've noticed this lump. Make a, a short note of the description. So mm. maybe it's you know one centimeter and it still has hair on it. Doesn't seem to be bothering the dog. Is it mobile or is it sort of fixed to this tissues? And then watch it really closely for the next sort of few days. It might be something as simple as a um, a little pimple or a bug bite, and it might go down after sort of three or four days. But if you're lo noticing it sort of a week later, um, and particularly if it's changing, so we really really want to see the lumps that are fast growing that you're certain wasn't there on Monday and when you look at the dog on Friday there's a lump there when you look at it following Monday it's bigger that needs to be seen ASAP because that's often a sign that there's something sort of fairly serious happening there our vet Dr Kimberly Earl with us today for Pet Chat what about your calls 49216216 is the number if you'd like to call through we'd love to have your input into the program and we're joined now from Oyster Cove by Wendy good afternoon hello there hi Wendy what can we help you with today um, my daughter has a dog that's a half red cattle and half blue cattle, mm -hmm. and it's quite happy with all of her friends except one. And yeah. it's all, already bitten this one, and he growls and looks like he, he'd bite him again if he get half a chance, so yeah. he has to keep away from him. I'm just wondering... Would you yeah. have any clue why he would be likely to do that? Well, it's possible that something, I mean, this is a um, a pup or is a dog she's, yeah, she's got from the pound. So we, history is unknown and certainly there can be things that have happened in that dog's background um, that mm. maybe he's associating that particular person with, you know, something mm. familiar um, or, you know, they might be similar. They might have a similar 
um, body posture or stance or look to them. It might even be the, the way he moves or the sound of his voice. Um, it might be that the very first time he met the dog, um, the dog was anxious and nervous about something else. And now he associates this person with that anxious event. And so he's feeling a little bit less confident about the world. So that certainly can happen. Um, and, you know, he's a cattle dog. So unfortunately, cattle dogs um, have a bit of a reputation sometimes for being nippy and snappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might just be that particular, you know, sort of person. Um, I think it's always really important to make sure that, that the people around are safe. And so, you know, knowing that he's um, he's not tolerant of this particular person is really important and, and not trying to force the issue because that's more likely to cause problems. Um, you know, you can certainly try, you know, bribery and see if they can make friends. But I would actually say have this person just ignore the dog totally, probably lock the dog away from him so that there's no um, risk that he, he can, you know, become, mm. um, uh, get bitten and, and become, you know, sort of a more aggressive towards this particular person. Um, we don't like to let them practice the problem behaviors. So even putting him in a situation where the dog can growl at him is not really good because then the dog sort of learns I growl and then he goes away or I growl and I get put away. So he's sort of fulfilling what he what he wants. So it's probably mm-hmm. best to keep him, you know, sort of straight away. There are, I mean, if it's just one person, it, it's probably associated with something that we're not aware of in the background. But, um, you know, you'd, you'd probably want to... Um, work with a, a dog trainer behaviorist you know very slowly and carefully if, if it's a really important person in your daughter's life and there's just not really a way to avoid it we need to try to do something to to make that come around and that may or may not include um you know sort of pharmaceutical help and um, as well as behavior modification things like that we're talking about we're trying to discover if there's lumps in our animals in our dogs or our cats yeah what we can do about that so um, we were talking about what to do at home if you find a, a yeah. lump. So I'd always make a note of it, mark it on a calendar, keep a really close eye on it. When you What's come the difference? Into, what does our vet do when we get to them? Yeah, so listen, we're going to do something fairly similar. We're going to try to describe the lump, and, and we may sit and watch it over time, just depending on what we find. But the most important thing likely that we're going to do, for most lumps that are in spots that they shouldn't be, um, we're probably going to stick a needle into it, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's something called a fine needle aspirate. It's usually a pretty small little needle. The animals tolerate it quite well most of the time I do them in consult if I have a really wiggly dog I might steal them out the back and have one of my nurses hang on to them we're going to put a needle in and try to get a sample of the cells that the the mass is made up of so we're we're talking here about masses tumors those sorts of things Mm -hmm. gross that that are there that they shouldn't be and we're going to put it spray it onto a microscope slide and pop some stain on it and have a bit of a look and what we're trying to determine is if we can easily see what kind of cells are making up that lump and it might be that we see um, neutrophils which are a type of white blood cell and they're the ones that are responsible for making pus so if you have an infection and you've got lots of pus cells there or neutrophils there we're going to go oh okay this might be an infection have a look for bacteria oh yep there's bacteria there that's probably going to be a, a lump that's going to require some antibiotics and that might be the end of it um, if we see another type of cell called a mast cell we're going to look at that and say oh this isn't very good we need to get those off mast cells um, themselves are, are related to histamine release and so you can get them in inflamed areas but they also can create tumors that are are in their own right a tumor and a cancer and they can come in a number of different grades so we're almost always going to recommend taking a mast cell tumor off because my little sample that I can get from my needle can tell me that it's a mast cell tumor but it can't tell me what grade it is if it's a grade one it's probably going to be pretty benign and not cause any problems but if it's a grade two or three they can have lots of issues so we definitely want to take them off okay um 
What else are we going to see? We might see cats get a lot of abscesses. So we might stick a needle in and find that um, a bit of pus starts welling up out of the hub of our needle already. That's going to be a pretty easy one. We're going to probably bring the cat into hospital, give them a bit of medication and, and um, open that up and give it a nice big flush. We might um, stick a needle in and go, oh, this is a little bit of fat. So a lot of dogs will get fatty tumors. And like I said earlier, they're pretty benign. We're going to probably measure that so that we can watch what it's doing over time. Um, and most of those, you can you can spray the little sample that you get out of your needle onto a microscope slide, and you can squish it between another slide, look at it, and you can see right away that it's fat. So most of those in my in my hands don't even hit the microscope because they're just nothing but fat. They're pretty obvious, so that's good. And that can give owners a real peace of mind that this isn't anything really severe to worry about. We'll keep it an, an eye on it. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, those sorts of masses can become problematic just because they can get quite large. Mm. So yeah, lots of different options there. So definitely worthwhile having them getting you know sort of checked out and and earlier rather than later that is the secret that's the secret there get onto it earlier rather than later and keep an eye on it if you, as you see if you don't want to see it enlarging there could be a big problem there yeah if we do need to take it off the smaller we get to it the better because we always have to make a bigger incision than what the lump is so um, if you're bringing me a one centimeter mass it's a lot easier for me to take that off than a three centimeter mass we're going to talk about one of the cutest animals right now it's a pet <laughs> rabbit jeff from mayfield tell us about your uh, your bunny well i have a, a pet rabbit Named Thumper. Thumper, and yeah. She's a female. Okay. And I bought her at Ar- when I lived at Argentine. Right. Yes. Um, I ne- live in Mayfield, and I had a bit of drama, and sort of wasn't there a lot. And she started fretting. She went down to skin and bone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was all right, and I started nursing her again. I used to nurse her a lot, and okay. when I wasn't there, anyway, to cut a long story short. Um, I started nursing her again and told her to put, well, put weight on. Well, now she's fat as mud. Right, okay. But the thing is that every time I walk downstairs, she she stamps her feet. I don't know if you, you've probably heard of rabbit stamp yeah, yep, feet. Yeah, yep, yep. Thump on the cage. Yeah. Because she wants to be nursed all the time. <laughs> right, so you've got a demanding pet then. Yeah. Uh, she, she's extremely boisterous. Yep. Extremely boisterous bumper. Um, I used to have her out in the backyard and let her run around, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she has this thing where every time I walk downstairs, even if I feed her, yep. you know, I know what she wants. How do I get around it? Yeah, so what do I do about it? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a challenging sort of thing. She's she's obviously displaying some dislike when you sort of go away, and rabbits can be quite um, bonded to their people. Um, it, it's a hard sort of thing. So, you know, I, I guess you don't have to obey um, what she's doing. You can obviously hear that she's sort of cranky about it. Um, if she's a rabbit on her own, sometimes adding a second rabbit, although it can be a bit problematic because they don't always get along, um, or at least they sometimes will take a bit of time to, to adjust you know, to each other. Um, but that can be sort of helpful. It, it really depends on how much time you're away you know, sort of from her. Um, and whether or not she's got the ability to, to be able to come sort of down with you. I mean, lots of rabbits that are house rabbits um, have fairly free range of, of their, you know, their homes that they're in. They can often, um, they're, they're often litter trained and they know their way around. Up and downstairs is often a little bit uh, hard. And so I guess I'd always encourage you to try to, you know, put the rabbit in the, this place of the house where you're going to spend most of the time if she's that bonded to you. 
um, you know, make life interesting for her. Maybe, like you said, she does it when you're feeding her, but maybe um, making sure that, you know, she's hungry at that time when you're not going to be around there so that she, she is encouraged to eat and, and use that as, you know, more productive time. It's a bit of a challenging situation, but, yeah, do the best you can. Hello, what can I help you with today? Okay, um, my Labrador, we have a seven-year-old Labrador, mm-hmm. and she has recently, over the last few months, started eating her own feces. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I don't understand why she's um, she's very healthy. Yep. She has a great appetite. Yep, she's a lab. Um, she's a Labrador, all right? <laughs> and we have also adopted um, another Labrador who's six years old. Um, we got her over 12 months ago. Yeah. And there's been no problems there with, you know, the two of them getting yeah. on. Um, but this strange behaviour, and it's revolting. And yeah. we pick up, you know, everything from both of them every day. Yeah. But if there's a skerrick left anywhere left that rolls off the shovel, she will eat it. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of theories behind why dogs do it. Um, it is kind of just a dog thing. It's a bit gross, but, you know, dogs like to roll in things that are smelly. They like to eat things that are smelly. Um it is. It, I don't think we know that there's any particular scientific, you know, reason for it. Uh, it's not likely that she's got any kind of mineral or vitamin deficiency. If she's eating a good quality, you know, sort of dog food and maybe some right. other stuff, whatever, it's unlikely that it's a medical issue. It is usually mm-hmm. just a learned behavioral issue, and quite oh. often just to do with the fact that you know dogs like to eat stinky things. Um, she's just a duck. Yeah, you know, and oh. and she's a Labrador, and so like they love that kind of thing. It's almost like a treasure um in, my, my mother my mother who's probably listening her old dog veronica she's in canada and like the snow would start to melt in springtime and veronica it was a race to see who could get the dog poo cleaned up first because veronica was she was out there looking for frozen dog duties oh, no. um yeah and the best thing you can do really is just to try to you know pick it up as as rapidly as possible um, I, I don't think there's anything medically wrong with her. It is just a yucky habit, um, but it's yucky to us. Dogs don't really think of it as being too yucky. I mean, they sniff other dogs' bums and things like that, and that's pretty normal. So um, it's just really distasteful for us, unfortunately. All right, let's make our way to Stockton right now. We've got Cheryl waiting patiently there. Cheryl, hi, can I help you with something? Yeah, um, my dog Bundy has a big lump on his right leg, his back leg, mm-hmm. inside his back leg. I've had him to the vet and um, she said it was just a fluid love not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Plus he has a um, tumour on his pancreas and he has pancreatitis. What do I do about it? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's always hard to know without being able to know the dog's history in detail, okay? Um Masses on pancreas and pancreatitis, that's, that's probably the most serious concern for him. And we would always be, um, you know, trying to manage that one primarily because they can be pretty sick with it. Um, it really depends on what level of diagnosis we have on that sort of a mass. If we're looking at a, um, you know, ultrasound based diagnosis versus a tissue based diagnosis, because that can depend or that can, um, alter our, our treatment protocols and our treatment options for him. If the leg on the, if the mass, sorry, on the back leg is causing him problems, then it's worthwhile, um, you know, going back to the vet and saying, listen, this is, this is uncomfortable for him or it's getting in the way or wh- whatever this case might be, um, to see what we can do about it. So it might be that it is, a f- um, you know, fluid swelling that might be related to, um, lymph node enlargement. It, it's really, really hard to know, you know, depending on, cause he's got two different problems going on. So, you know, in, in my, um, in my practice, I'd probably have a look at the, the entire history 
um, try to determine if we know whether we're dealing with um, just a, a primary uh, tumor in the pancreas, whether we have lymph node enlargement that might be causing other issues going on. If the lump on the back leg is not causing him a problem, the pancreas is probably the... Yeah. Then, then, you know, I think the fact that um, he's got the other issues going on, that's the, the thing to be primarily concerned about because that can be quite a serious sort of um, condition for them. So making sure that that's okay, um, you know, is the, is the key sort of thing that we, we're managing that as best as possible and, and watching the other thing to make sure it doesn't become an issue. All right. Thank you so much for your call and good luck with that, Cheryl. Just mm-hmm. one last quick one in 30 seconds. Sure. Lumps. Uh, Lumps. One last message you can leave us with on that. Yeah, I think always get them checked out because if we can get to them sooner rather than later, that's always going to be better for your pet. Smaller incisions are always going to be, you know, faster healing than, than bigger ones. And um, if it might be nothing, but you never know. They can look, something really benign can be quite serious. I think so. the great tip from you is monitor them. If you see monitor one, them, keep an eye on it. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Size, but, you know, yeah. if, it's, if it's changing, definitely get them into us pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for today, as always, You're Kimberly. Welcome. It's lovely to be here. It's always great. We do pet chat every Wednesday from midday to one. There's our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl. And thank you also to Daniel K. Carrington. We will be back again doing it next week and taking your calls here at 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>